Wow, good evening again. And uh, let me just say before we, we start with the message, uh, I don't want to say anything at, at the end because I don't want to uh, take away anything what the Lord wants to do at the end with the message. But let me just say again, thank you so much. I've really been refreshed spiritually and encouraged by all of you spending time uh, listening to what God is doing in this ministry, what he's doing around the world, spending some time uh, with the missionaries. And uh, let me just say it's just been a blessing. Thank you so much for having me. It's been, it's been a, a really great, great time in the Lord. Uh, tonight I would like to look at a passage from 2 Timothy chapter 1 in a message that I have entitled, What God Has Given Us. Now, again, God has given us a lot of things, and we will only focus today on, on three of those things that are related to what we started to talk about the first, the first day on, on Sunday morning, that the world has no one to give them the gospel, and no one to teach them, and no one to lead them. And not only does God command us to give them the gospel and to teach the truth and to lead them into things that are eternal, but also God also equips us. He doesn't just command, but he also equips. And today we will look specifically at three things that God gives to us as to equip us for the things that we need to fulfill the mission that he has given us. So we will begin in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, Wherefore, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of, uh, of my hands. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be now thou, uh, thou therefore, be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And we will spend most of the time tonight looking at verse 7, specifically three things which God gives to us in contrast to the, to the spirit of fear. He says that God has not given us the spirit of fear, but instead of that, he has given us three things, the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. In fact, the Bible has a lot to say about fear. And there are some fears that we have in our heart. And there are some good fears and there are some wrong fears. When God made the heart, he made it to be afraid. He made it to have fear. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. There are some fears that are the right fears. We need to fear some things. But by the same token, our fears can also be misplaced. And when they are misplaced, they can lead us to destruction. For instance, when uh, my, my wife was learning how to drive, I was afraid of some things. <laughs> no, not, not because of her driving, but there were these, uh, what do you call them, obstacles in the way, like telephone poles and ditches. <laughs> they used to have telephone poles back then, but you know, like one night, a mailbox attacked her and broke the mirror of her car. So I was afraid, you know, when she was learning how to, how to drive. So there, there are some fears that, that, that we have. But <laughs> the devil wants us to have the wrong fears. And Jesus speaking in Matthew 10, verse 28, he says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Okay, for some people that's not too hard, but still, you know, most. <laughs> <laughs> Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. So it begins, you know, it really begins with us understanding who the Lord is. If we understand that we are sinners and there is a holy God who created the universe and he will not tolerate sin, that should put the fear of God in the literal sense in our hearts that one day we will meet the creator and there is no one to intervene on our behalf and we will not be righteous before him. 
And so it says, don't fear the wrong things. You should fear the one that can, can send you to hell for eternity. If your sins are not forgiven, if you haven't taken care of the issue of where you're going to spend eternity, who's going to pay for your sins? You're either going to pay yourself or you're going to let Christ pay for your sins. But when we get saved, God takes that fear away. We don't live in fear of judgment, of hell for eternity. Because we know that salvation does not come from our works. And neither is it, is it kept from our, for our, from our works. It is a gift of God. So after we come to Christ, he gives us his identity. We are now his children. So we're not afraid that we're going to spend eternity in hell. But does that mean that we should not have the fear of the Lord? And what does that mean anyway? What does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? This is a topic that, that is, is very much under, misunderstood, even by Christians. And it's a word and it's a phrase that is used a lot in the Bible. So I want to spend a few minutes just to look at this and to see the whole picture. What does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? In Proverbs chapter 9 and verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. So the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it all starts. If somebody rejects the story of creation and they reject the idea that there is a God and one day they will give an accountability for their lives, that they don't have wisdom. That's where it all starts. In, in chapter 8 of Proverbs, verse 13, it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil and arrogancy and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate? So for a Christian, it's not just to be afraid that you're going to hell because we don't have that fear anymore after we come to Christ. But the fear of the Lord is also to hate evil. You show that you are fearing God by departing from evil and by not being arrogant and by going away, uh, away from the evil way and from a forward mouth. In chapter 10, verse 27, it says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. So the fear of the Lord moves you to make decisions that are different from the ones that sinners make because you have a different perspective on life. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26, it says, In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to depart from the snares of death. You know, the lost world sometimes, uh, you know, they, they will say about Christians that, you know, you, you live in fear. You live in constant fear because God is going to do something. But in fact, the fear of the Lord is confidence. It's not that I, I live in fear that God is going to send me to hell. They should have that fear. I don't have that fear. So the fear of the Lord in, in the Bible, in the scriptures, is not just about being afraid that God's going to do something to you. It is wisdom to depart from evil and to hate evil and to make decisions that are, that are for eternity, not like the wicked, which their days shall be shortened because, because of their uh, wickedness. And it's a strong confidence. You know, it, it is a fountain of life. It is not something that suppresses our quality of life. It, it is something that gives us abundant life. Proverbs 15, verse 33, it says, The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Not only the beginning of it, but to walk in the fear of the Lord means that you will continue to walk being instructed by the Lord. And that's wisdom. In, verse, in chapter 16, verse 6, it says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. So it's a theme that we see repeated over and over and over again in the scriptures. What does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? In chapter 19, verse 23, it says, The fear of the Lord tendeth to life, and he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. It is not a life that you live in constant fear of what God is going to do, but it's a, it is a life that gives life. It tendeth to life, and, he, and the people that do that, they shall abide satisfied. They have a peace that comes from walking in the fear of the Lord because their decisions that they make are the right decisions. In contrast to that, in Proverbs 29 and verse 25, it says, The fear of men 
bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. There is a way to misplace the fear of the Lord with other fears. And when we don't have the fear of the Lord, and we mis misplace the fear from where it should be to other things like the fear of men, this thing is going to bring a snare. It's a trap. It is a trap designed to catch us and to kill us, to destroy us. And when we don't have the fear of God in, in, in our lives, then we will have all kinds of other fears. And they will always be a snare. They will always be a trap. We don't see it. It looks enticing. You know, like the, the, the trap with the mouse. It looks enticing. There's something there. But it's meant to destroy and to kill. In Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. Not only is the fear of the Lord something that each Christian should have in his or her, her, her own life, but when churches walk in the fear of the Lord, they're edified. They have the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And they were multiplied. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. So God has not given us the spirit of fear. But in contrast to the spirit of fear, he gives us three things to equip us for the mission that he has given to us. And the first thing in the list is power. God gives us supernatural power. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, Verse 11 and 12, it says, Wherefore, also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of his calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. God gives us a spirit of power. In Romans chapter 6, it gives us the key to how this power is manifested in our lives. In verse 12, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall have no dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked, that ye were servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became servants of righteousness. God has given us the spirit of power, but practically this power is manifested in us when we yield ourselves as servants of Christ in obedience to him. That's why itself, he says that you are the servant of whoever you yield your members, your, your body, to be a servant of. And if you yield your, your body a servant of sin, then you will serve sin. But if you yield to the will of God, then you will be a servant of Christ. So the, the power is in us, but it is manifested in us when we yield ourselves to God's will. And that word, to yield, is a very important word. I had to learn that when I was learning how to drive. Have I told you enough stories now about driving? <laughs> that was a foreign concept to me, what it meant to yield. <laughs> you, you, just, you just don't, you know, you just, you just keep going. But when I came here, I learned what that is. And that's how it is in, in, in our lives. You know, we say to the Lord, Lord, you go first. You have precedence. 
I will follow you. I will not go ahead of you. You have the right to go. I will wait. Our power is manifest when we surrender to, to his will. And of course, in verse 8, he says to, be, to Timothy, to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. And how many people today are partakers of the afflictions because of the gospel? The unsaved world does not have this power, and yet the saved world a lot of times is looking to bring a kingdom that Christ promised that only he will bring. And their lives are consumed with bringing in the kingdom. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, you can, you can look it up. It says that when Christ comes back, the kingdoms of the world became the kingdoms of his Christ. And not until then, by the way, Christ will set up for the physical, literal kingdom where he will come back literally to this earth and rule and reign for a thousand years. And not until then. Until then, it is a spiritual kingdom. It's not a physical kingdom. It's not a political kingdom. We won't see it until Christ returns. And all our efforts to bring that kingdom will come to nothing. Because until Christ comes, it will not be here. And yet... The only kingdom that is in effect now is the kingdom of God. It's the spiritual kingdom. And the only way to enter into that kingdom is by being born again. And that's what God has given us. He has given us the power to live a life that preaches the gospel and be partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. We don't go out looking for afflictions. We don't go out seeking for them. But God has given us the power to become a partaker of them even when they come. If you have read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you have, may have read the story of James and Hel Helen Stark in Scotland, 1543. They were apprehended by the Catholic Church and several charges were brought against them regarding their faith. They were accused of teaching the Bible at home Imagine that. And that Helen refused to pray to Mary. And then when she was asked, she said that she prays directly through, to God through Jesus Christ. They were found guilty of the charges and they were sentenced to death. James would be burned at the stake while Helen would be drowned. She asked to die beside her husband at the stake, but the request was not granted. Before her husband was burned at the stake, she was allowed to approach him and say her last goodbyes. And her last words were these. Husband, rejoice, for we have lived together many joyful days. But this day in which we must die ought to be the most joyful unto us both. Because we must have joy forever. Wherefore, I will not bid you good night, for we shall suddenly meet with joy in the kingdom of heaven. Now, what in the world could match this? Is there anything in the world that has this kind of hope before death to speak these words? It's not human power. It's God's power through his spirit. And God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has given us the spirit of power. Not only do we have the hope of eternal life, but we also have the assurance of eternal life. The, the hope that the Bible talks about for a Christian is a blessed hope. It's not a hope in, in which the world uses it in the sense of, I hope this will happen, in the sense of, there is a chance that this will happen. The hope that the Bible talks about is a blessed hope. It's an assurance. It's, it is for sure. It will happen. And we have that hope. 2 Timothy 1, 12, verse 12, it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That is the assurance that we have in Christ. Proverbs 28, 1, it says, The wicked flee 
where no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. It is a power that comes from God and is supernatural. Romans chapter 5, verse 3, it says, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Sometimes we wonder why would God allow tribulations in our life? Well, sometimes he does because he wants us to learn patience. And from patience, experience. And from experience, we get hope, not only for us, but to help others who are going through the tribulation, who will have a need to learn patience and will teach others what it means to have experience and hope in Christ. And God's promise to the early believers and to us as well in Acts chapter 8, verse, Acts 1, verse 8, it says, But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and to, unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Ye shall receive power. It is supernatural power. In contrast with the spirit of fear, God gives us the spirit of power. Secondly, not only power, but he also gives us the spirit of love. And we would not know love if it weren't given to us by God. And this is supernatural love. 1 John 4.10, it says, Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 19 says, We love him because he first loved us. That's the model that we get from him. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15 says, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he that died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. God gives us a supernatural love. And his love constrains us to continue to walk in his power. It is not love because we are good people and we just have such an abundant love for the whole world. There are some people that only God and their mama can love them. <laughs> They're unlovable. Some of them, even their mama is like, I don't know. <laughs> but when... When we are surrendered to Christ, he gives us the power and he gives us a love that cannot, cannot be explained by human logic. 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 5, it says, And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. See how those two are related together. It is hard for this church age to understand this because their minds are corrupted in understanding the word love. To them, the word love means whatever suits their lusts. So if you're not catering to their lusts, then you're not showing love towards them. This is not the definition of biblical love. Biblical love is always associated with the truth. The lie is never love. If we love the way God wants us to love, then it will always be associated with God's word. John chapter 15, verse 9, it says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. God gives us a model that is supernatural, that he fashioned, and he showed 
to his disciples. It doesn't make sense to the, to the lost world why we would love people which with which we have nothing in common. How, how, how is it that in a church, more, more, most people, you, you don't know them personally before you meet them in church? You may not have the same age or profession or hobbies or other things, interests, and yet God supernaturally places a love in our hearts for God's people because we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. And he says, by this shall the world know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. Proverbs 27, verse 6, he says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Judas did, did not love the Lord Jesus Christ, even though he kissed him. The world today confuses love for something else. Biblical love is to tell the truth according to the word of God. And God has not given us the spirit of fear. We have the spirit of love. The world has nothing to match the love of God. And Christians are commanded to demonstrate this love. Do we love God's family? Do we love each other? Is it just feelings? Or is it around the word of God and the work of God? And third, I want to say that God has given us a sound mind. Second, the last part of the verse, it says that he has not given us the spirit of fear, but the, 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 the sound mind also. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, but I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds shall be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. The Apostle Paul wants to remind the Corinthians that the devil wants to corrupt their minds so their thinking doesn't match the, what the Word of God says. But instead, they should question it, placing a doubt in their minds that what God has provided is not the best. That's what he did with Eve. And he goes back to how the devil beguiled Eve. And he says, I'm afraid that this is what's going to happen to you. He's going to corrupt your mind. He's going to corrupt your thinking. The same way he did with Eve. And how did he do it with Eve? He questioned God's word. He changed God's word. He put a doubt in, his, in her mind that what God had provided for her was not the best. That there was something else out there that God had hidden from them. He had not given it to them. And if they disobeyed God, that's how they will get it. That's how he wants to corrupt our minds today. To place a doubt in our minds that what God has provided for us is not the best. And when we give in to that, we have literally lost our mind. We do not have a sound mind. If we think that we can get something better than what God has given to us. Romans chapter 8, verse 5 says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. For they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. This applies not only to the lost world. This applies to Christians when we let the flesh rule in our members. When we let the sinful nature in us control us. And to be carnal, car carnally minded is death. It leads to destruction. We lose our mind. We make terrible decisions. Because they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Of course, talking about lost people, they can't please God until they, they, get, they, they get saved. But a Christian living in the flesh also cannot please God with his or her life. And his mind is corrupted. 
when he gives in to the, to the flesh. The world does not have a sound mind, but we have been given a sound mind. The question is, are we walking according to this sound mind? Or do we want to always impose our own mind on others? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Even though we walk in the flesh, we're, we still have our old nature. Just because we got saved doesn't mean that our old nature died. We now have a new nature, which the lost world doesn't have, but we also still have our old nature. So if we walk according to the old nature, then we're walking in, in, in sin. We don't have victory. And then it says something about where this warfare takes place the most. And where it takes place the most, it is in our mind. It says to casting down imaginations. Imaginations is things we imagine. Is things we dream up. In our dream, do, do you know who Messi is, if I said that name? Okay, he's a, he's a soccer player, if you, if you don't know. In my imaginations, he never beats me. I play with him all the time. <laughs> he never wins. In my imaginations. He says, casting down imaginations. Don't let your mind control you. Let the word of God change your mind. And every high thing, anything that comes into your mind that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. It is not a sin to have sinful thoughts. A thought can come into your mind. The devil can plant a thought into your mind. But what we do with that can become a sin. And the way we handle that is that anything, it's a filter. Anything that comes into our mind should go through this filter. And if it exalts itself against the knowledge of God, it should be cast down. We shouldn't let it take root into our mind. Because if, if we let it take root into our mind, then it's going to become an action. So what we do is we put a filter. We compare everything that comes into our mind. Oh, okay, I have this thought. Okay, let me see. Does this match what God says? I don't know the, the, the origin of that thought. I don't know if I thought about it or I was tempted. I don't know where everything comes from. But what I can know and what I can do is to say, does this match God's word? A lot of people ask me, how do I know if God is testing me about a certain thing? Or if the devil is tempting me? Well, here's the way to know. When God brings a trial into our lives, it never leads to destruction. It never leads for us to doubt God's word. It never leads us to give up. When the devil tempts us, it's always so we give up, so we get discouraged, so we let our guard down, so we give up the ministry. They're not the same. God never tempts us. He allows trials to come into our lives so we can learn, so we can get experience, so we can help others. The devil tempts us so we can get depressed, we can walk away from the faith and the ministry, and we can give up. That is the difference. How do we know? Does it match God's word? Does it pass the filter of God's word? The battle is in the mind. And God has given to us a sound mind. In 2 Timothy chapter, well, Isaiah chapter 26 first. Verse 3, it says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. 
It is the fruit of what God does in our lives when we let our thoughts rest in him. He gives us perfect peace. That doesn't mean that the circumstances will go away. That doesn't mean we're not going to have trials and tribulations. But what it does mean is that God, even in the midst of those, God will give us his peace. And the world cannot explain that peace. They cannot give that to us. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul admonishes Timothy to stir up the gift of God in him. In verse 6, we read it. It says, I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul admonishes Timothy, reminding him to stir up the gift of God in him, to keep it alive, to not let it go to sleep. Now, it's not that Timothy was not using his gift, but he needed a reminder, just like we need a reminder for, for these truths. Paul is not saying that Timothy has a problem not using his gift, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it seems fit for him to remind him to stir it up, to keep it alive, to use it, to put it to use. We are not told what the specific gift is, but the list of them is given 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12 as well. Let me read them to you from Romans chapter 12, verse 5. It says, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of the faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, and he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Now, if you have never taken some time to look at this list and understand what each of those gifts are about, then I encourage you to do that. Because what we're studying tonight is something that Paul tells Timothy. Timothy, I want you to stir up your gift. Don't let it go to waste. And if you don't know what God has gifted you with, then how could you stir it up? And when we get saved, God gives to each one of us at least one of these gifts. Sometimes more than one, but he gives us at least one of these gifts. So if you have never taken the time to understand what these gifts are about and how you can use them and how you can uh, apply them in, in your life, I encourage you, go to your pastors and your teachers and ask questions. How can I know what are these gifts about? How can I know what my, my, my gift is? And what does it mean to, to use this gift for God's glory? Because it's something that Paul tells Timothy, and God reminds us. Even though Timothy was a pastor and he was active in using his gift, yet God says, you know what? Continue in this. Stir it up. Don't let it go to sleep. And let me just say, you know, some of you may be saved recently. I, I, I don't know most of you. Praise God for that. I mean, God is faithful to continue to save. And I would just encourage you, continue to learn. Enjoy the the phase where you know you're soaking everything and you you're learning and you're growing in the Lord. But if you have been saved for a number of years and you are faithful, praise the Lord. Sometimes all we need is a reminder and an encouragement. I mean, if you are involved in ministry, you are involved in missions, praise the Lord. Maybe the Lord doesn't have anything else to say to you besides continue. You're doing a good job. You're faithful. Because sometimes it sounds as if we're not doing anything. But if you are doing it, praise the Lord for that. Continue in that. I am always encouraged by seeing people after many years that I haven't seen. And, you know, and I see them, they're, they're faithful. They're continuing to serve the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. But if you're not using your gift or gifts tonight, I encourage you, as, the Lord, as Timoth Paul does with Timothy, continue. Grow up in the Lord. 
take advantage of all the training, all the, all the preparation that the church offers to you. Ask questions. What does it mean to be involved? What does it mean to, to, to serve the Lord in, in any capacity? Let's understand that God has called us all to be missionaries. Some missionaries are sent out to a foreign country, but every Christian is on a mission. It is sent by God on a mission. We are missionaries. Whether we acknowledge it or not, it doesn't matter what profession you have, it doesn't matter what job you do for a living. We are missionaries. We have a mission. Find out what it means to use that for God. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Please note that in contrast to the spirit of fear, there are three things that God gives to us. And he doesn't give just one. He doesn't give just two. He gives all three of them. This is very important. Because to have power without love is very dangerous. And there are a lot of people full of power, but because they don't have love, they hurt or even destroy others. But if you have love and you don't have a sound mind, then you will love the wrong things and they will destroy you. And if you have a sound mind, but you don't have power, then you will soon rely on your own power and you will burn out. That's why God gives us all three. In contrast to the spirit of fear, God gives us all three. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, he says, Wherefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. If you're here and you say, you know what, I am weak. I don't know if God can use me. I, I don't have any strength. I would say, praise the Lord, you're in the right place. Come to him and tell him that. Because he delights to make his power known through our weaknesses. So we don't get the glory, but he gets the glory. The question is not whether or not we have the spirit that God has given to us. If you are in Christ, the question is, what are we doing with the one that he has given to us? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, it says, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? And if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? God says, listen, if you are in Christ, I have given you my spirit. And if you received it, then why do you say you didn't receive it? <laughs> Boasting is not just about when we boast about what we have. The flip side of that is when we don't acknowledge what we have been given. That's also boasting. God has given to us his spirit. That's why in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19, very short verse, it says, quench not the spirit. Because the spirit has power. We have the power to win over sin daily. We have the power to win, to have our prayers answered. We have the power to witness for Christ. We have the power to endure afflictions. We have the power to overcome the evil world system. We have the spirit of love. We can love God. We can love the word of God. We can love the work of God. We can love the ones that are born of God even when we don't agree with them or they don't deserve it. We can love the lost, the lost and bring them to salvation. We can love heavenly things when we set our affections on things above. We can have a sound mind when we allow our mind to be transformed by the word of God. We can have a sound mind when we bring our thoughts to the obedience of Christ. We can have a sound mind when we walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We can have a sound mind when we flee from evil and do not envy sin sinners or their ways. The world sometimes likes to 
make jokes about Christians. And they say, you know, you're brainwashed. <laughs> Have you ever heard that before? You're brainwashed. And you know, that is exactly what it is. Because before I was saved, my mind was filled with the filth and the dirt of this world. And when Christ saved me, he began to wash away my mind with the water of the word. And I began to think clearly. I began to have a sound mind and not be consumed with things which are very temporal compared to things that are eternal. He gives us a sound mind. Whatever spirit of fear you have today, you need to know that, first of all, it's not of God because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. But you also need to know that it is a spirit. It's not just an emotion. It's not just a reaction. Oh, I'm just afraid of this thing. It is a spirit. You are under spiritual attack. If you do not fear God and the right things, but if you fear the wrong things tonight, you are spiritually under attack. That is not a spirit given by God, but it is a spirit. Because the spirit of God is a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, considers it a need to remind Timothy to stir up his gift and to understand that there is a spiritual battle. And we have been given the same spirit. What happens to us when we give in to the spirit of fear? We don't have any power. No wonder many believers find themselves spiritually exhausted and give up because they have misplaced their fears. We're going to be afraid of something. Our hearts were made to have fear. Are we fearing the Lord or are we fearing other things? We will not have love if we walk according to this spirit of fear. We will start to live under the law and we're not motivated by love. We go through the motions and pretty soon we will find ourselves exhausted and we will give up. But the spirit of God is the spirit of power. It is the spirit of love that motivates us. Not because we're so good of people and great people that we love everybody, but because we love him and because he loves the lost world and he wants to save the lost world, he motivates us. And he gives us the power and the love. He sustains it. And when we give up and we walk in the spirit of fear, we will not have a sound mind. We will be unable to think how God thinks. And then we'll find ourselves in a position where God's ministry and his work doesn't make sense to us. And the world starts making sense to us. That's when we lose a sound mind. On Sunday, we talked about three things. The gospel, God's word, the truth, and biblical leadership. Yesterday, we talked about a vision for the world and the generations. And tonight, we saw that God has given to us the spirit of power. Christ said that you will receive power to be witnesses unto me, starting from where you live unto all the rest of the world. The spirit of love always associated with God's word, with the truth and also that of a sound mind. When we understand what it means to live a life that influences others for eternal things, whatever God commands, he equips. And God has equipped us through his spirit to have his power, his love, and his vision for how to fulfill the mission that he has given to us. Whatever fear is keeping you awake today 
from being involved. If you are not involved, let me just say, it is not of God's spirit. I would ask you tonight to analyze your life and say, what are my fears? Face your fears. Take them before the Lord. Do these match up with God's word? Do these pass the filter? It's not about emotions. It's not about how I feel. You may feel terrible even if you make the right decision. The feelings may take time to catch up to your decisions. Don't base your decisions on feelings. Well, the feelings have to be right. No, they don't have to be right. We can be attacked in our feelings. Does it match God's word? If you're not involved today, I, I ask you, consider to pray and say, Lord, what would you have me do? What is my gift? How can I put my gift to use? Don't be afraid of the things that the Lord says, don't be afraid of them. Because they come with a spirit. It is a spiritual battle. They will drain you of your power. They will take away your motivation. Ministry will not be fun. It will be seen as a burden. Instead of saying, I get to do this, we're saying, I got to do this. That's the wrong spirit. We are privileged for God to call us into ministry with him. And then we start losing our mind. We start making the wrong decisions. Because we're drained. We don't have any motivation. We don't have the love. And then little by little, ministry doesn't make sense for us. And we start looking for the world, towards the world. And things of the world start making sense to us. That's a very dangerous spiritual war that the devil takes us into. It begins with our mind. It begins as a battle in our mind. I don't know what your fears are today. I don't know what you're facing today. But I know that the devil is active in trying to corrupt our minds. It worked for Eve and has worked great for him for 6,000 years. He doesn't need to change his tactics because they have worked for him. But God's word warns us against this. And in contrast to that spirit, God has given us his power, his love, and a sound mind. I don't know what it looks like individually, but I know this. God's spirit, it is his job to take the word of God and make it practical and applicable to every one of us where we are. And he has not resigned yet. He is doing his job. Whatever it looks like in your life, let me encourage you. Ask God tonight and say, Lord, just show me. I'm here. I'm surrendered. I'm convicted. I want my life to count. I want my life to matter. I want to be involved in whatever you would have me do. And if you have never done that, let me encourage you. Do it tonight. If many of you have done that, you are active doing that. Praise the Lord for you. Praise the Lord that you are involved in what God is doing here and around the world. But if you're not, let me encourage you. There's no greater joy than allowing the Lord to use your life for something that's eternal. Jeff, would you pray?